As a kid in the 80s and 90s, movies were my life. Our five-screen United Artists Theater was in the local mall. The entrance would take you past a wall of posters emblazoned with now playing and coming soon. In the time of the pre-internet, I wasn't aware of the latest filmmaking news. My frame of reference for what was coming soon relied on watching trailers and analyzing these posters. What on earth does this Beetlejuice poster mean? The burbs? Why is that guy holding a hose and a spatula? Our town also had the Dollar Theater, one of those second-run movie houses where a new film ended up three months after its initial release. I only ever recall seeing one elderly female employee working there who would cover both the box office and the concession stand. There were posters and frames very high up on the wall that she seemed to never be able to change. I can confirm that the one sheets for Betsy's wedding and Joe vs. the Volcano remained up there way after hitting home video. I still remember the sound my shoes made as they stuck to the soda-stained floor and the rickety maroon theater seats. The Dollar Theater eventually closed in the mid-90s, leaving Army of Darkness listed on its marquee until a new owner turned the building into a hair salon. As I got older, I began to attend the theater without my parents and go with groups of friends who were also bitten by the same film fanatic bug. We drive to the next town over, where they had the famous six-screen Broadacre Cinema, famous because they didn't check IDs for R-rated movies. Broadacres closed in 2005 and still sits as an empty shell on the side of the highway. Friday nights as a kid were all about hitting the video store with my mom and dad. Our small town had at least seven video stores, not including the grocery stores, gas stations, and pawn shops that also decided to get into the home video rental game. These stores had names like Mr. Video, Wagon Wheel Video, Video Shack, Video Hut, etc. We'd usually end up at the biggest one, Take Two Video, in the Pine Tree Village Shopping Center. My dad's goal was always the same. What is the most bizarre movie we can find and enjoy tonight? We would usually find ourselves in the horror section. Sometimes we'd discover a classic like Dario Argento's Suspiria. Other times we'd end up with something like Frank Zappa's Uncle Meat that had been mistakenly categorized as horror. We came home with the works of Sam Raimi, George Romero, and our mutual favorite, John Carpenter. My dad introduced me to Halloween, Big Trouble in Little China, and the greatest one of all, The Thing. My mother, on the other hand, was a diehard action thriller aficionado. We rented every offering from Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal, the latter being her personal favorite, despite his tacky ponytail. Her words. There's nothing quite like watching your genial mother ball up her fists and mutter, get him, get him, while watching Van Damme roundhouse kick whatever bad guy he was matched against in that Friday's rental. Because of her, I'm still seeking out Chuck Norris, Van Damme, Stallone, and to a much lesser degree, Seagal. I also had the benefit of an older sister who introduced me to such nefarious 80s villains as Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. Much of the time we were watching these titans of cinema slash their way through high schoolers in the comfort of our living room, while Gilbert Gottfried and Rhonda Shear provided us with entertaining commentary on USA Up All Night. She and my brother-in-law would sometimes entrust me with the coveted task of selecting the video rental at the movie gallery near their apartment. Even though Pumpkinhead was one of my more successful choices, she still doesn't let me live down the fact that I picked Troll 2. It's been 30 years, Cindy. Time to let it go. 
When a trip to the movie theater required adult supervision, she was usually the culprit who would take me to a screening of something like Wayne's World, Hot Shots Part 2, or Look Who's Talking, the latter causing me to graphically learn the mechanics of human conception and birth at eight years old. Her part-time job in a video store made her my hero, mostly because I got to hang out behind the counter and watch videos, at least until her boss found out. It's no wonder that when I was old enough, my first paying job would also be at a video store. It was one of those small family-owned establishments, Movie Max. I started working there right as DVD rental was beginning to catch on. We only had about 10 DVD titles originally. I spent my first week there walking through the store and writing down the names of all the movies I needed to watch, now that they were available to me for free. The list was written on the back of a stack of Pizza Hut coupons. A list I still have to this day, and still have a handful of titles to finish. Also, I wonder if Pizza Hut would still honor them. Anyway, there were the obvious picks, Deer Hunter, The Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon, and then perhaps the not-so-obvious, J. Michael Miro's Street Trash, Frank Hindenlotter's Brain Damage, or Biggest Luna's Anguish, titles whose VHS covers were begging me to rent them. I spent my shifts there arguing with customers over aspect ratios, or playing Nightmare on Elm Street 3 on the store television when business was slow. My next job would move me out of video rental and into video retail, at a now-defunct store in the mall that sold overpriced DVDs, posters, and clearance VHS. I had my cache of titles behind the counter that would be mine as soon as my 2002 minimum wage paycheck hit. I'd mess around with customers pretending I wasn't familiar with blatantly obvious titles like The Lord of the Rings, or quietly seethe when someone would hold up a copy of Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love and refer to it as the worst Adam Sandler movie ever made. They'd be satiated once they discovered the copy of Mr. Deeds they were looking for. Most of those video stores are gone now. They've been replaced by streaming, Redbox, and On Demand. There was something so satisfying about walking into a video store, looking at cardboard standees promoting the month's new release, buying used posters for 50 cents apiece, walking down aisles and letting the cover art on a VHS grab you and tell you that this was the movie you needed to watch tonight. Video stores weren't the only place to discover new and interesting films. The 80s gave way to various cable channels filling up their broadcast time with whatever films they could license. Premium channels like HBO, Cinemax, and Showtime introduced our generation to an unlimited selection of various genres, if you were lucky enough to have a subscription and relaxed parental supervision. Now as I approach my 40s, I'm taking a look back at the films and filmmakers who shaped me. The movies that inspired me to make that drive across the U.S. to move to Los Angeles the day after graduating college. I'll be digging into the stories that I find to be the most fascinating, discussing the underdogs, and talking to the filmmakers who made it all happen. This is Real Collections.